Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you for listening. And if you are tuning in again, welcome back. And lastly, if you find today's episode or any of these episodes of this podcast to be helpful or insightful, please follow and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're using. The more followers and ratings we get, the more we can help people like you. And without further ado, let's get started. When my wife and I moved to Marin County, California, I was really blown away about how amazing the weather and the geography was, which almost got me to the point where I wanted to get into the sport of cycling. The reality is the fact that I don't have the time to dedicate towards cycling. Um, And so my wife and I actually ended up getting beach cruisers. So when it comes to biking or cycling, I like to consider my wife, myself and my wife as recreational bicyclists, where we ride two to three miles a weekend, where we're just enjoying the sights and sounds. But there are many of you who are listening right now who are avid cyclists and are battling with sciatica pain, or you are battling with sciatica pain and your doctor said that one activity that you can do is get into biking. And so rather than me try to assume some of these concepts and how it applies to sciatica pain, I thought it would be a great opportunity to actually speak with an expert, Mike Watson, who has been a guest on this podcast before. He talked about running, but he's also a cycling and endurance coach. And I thought it'd be great for us to have this conversation where we can focus on talking about the mechanics and also some components to focus on when you are getting on that bike. So Mike, thank you so much for being on this episode. And it's great to see you again. Same to you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, For the folks who haven't heard of you or haven't listened to your podcast uh, from a few months ago, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey to to where you're at today? What led you into the the cycling part of it? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I've been a coach, uh, a fitness coach for in various capacities for about 20 years. Um, We did a lot of, uh, based in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, uh, at a gym called Catalyst Fitness. Um, And we did a lot of powerlifting early on, um, which I really, really loved. I like, you know, I like being strong. I like picking up heavy stuff. I love the way it made me feel. Um, but my niche was running and cycling. Um, and, and, and the more I got into running and cycling and realized you could go and do those things for a really long time, I kind of got obsessed with doing that and training for those types of events. Um, so my coaching style, I mean, for the last 15 years has been getting people strong, but also getting them strong enough to handle the demands of a marathon, an ultra marathon, a triathlon, uh, a long bike ride, uh, you know, century or a, a Fondo or something like that. So um, I, I really love the pairing of strength and endurance activities. Um, and so I run a, a side business called CEO Endurance, which is online cycling and running programming. 
I've currently got a bunch of athletes right now who are getting ready for some longer uh, mountain bike and running distance or running uh, events in the fall. A lot of trail stuff uh, happens up around us um, in Michigan and Ontario. So uh, it's, a, it's an exciting time. We're, uh, we've had some freedom through the last couple of years of a pandemic where you can get outside and just do these things. Um, so that part of the business has been uninterrupted, which has been really, really fun. Very cool. I think, uh, yeah, running and cycling is like a perfect opportunity to be outside. Um, and for the most part, I mean, running doesn't require any equipment and then cycling requires one piece of equipment, um, which is, uh, which is very cool. I think what a lot of people get confused is the difference between like, say biking, like bicycling uh, and cycling. There's a lot of different variations. You go on Google and you search like bikes and you're going to get endless amounts of ads of like all the different bikes out there. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about like the difference between like someone who's like, Oh, I like do biking. Like I ride a bicycle versus cycling where, um, from what I see, I think like when I think cycling, I think tour de France, like all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, great timing right now. I think they just finished up stage five of the tour. Um, kind of caught some, some highlights and stuff. So yeah, I mean, you Google bikes or cycling and you will come up with, you know, a, a dozen different genres. Um, you know, you open my garage door, you're going to find the same thing. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a bike for every occasion type of guy. Um, I think the difference between biking and cycling is, is really what you're trying to do with it, right? You mentioned your beach cruisers and getting out and doing a ride, whether you're a biker or a cyclist doesn't really matter to me. I'm, I'm not a snob about that. I think it's, it's, um, you know, riding a bike is one of those things. And I'm experiencing this now through my nine-year-old is riding a bike is freedom, right? I, and I equate running to the same thing is, is once you get comfortable enough and, and good enough at running, you can disappear down the road or into a trail and just, and have freedom. Um, you know, as soon as you get to the point that you can ride a bike, whether it's a bike or biker or a cyclist doesn't really matter to me, but it is, it's, it represents that freedom. I think if you wanted to make like a, you know, a real differentiation between the two, we would say biking is casual um, and cycling is something that you're actively training for or participating in some sort of event. Right. And that could be, you know, that could be, a road bike it could be something similar to tour de france type riding or it could be training for a, a triathlon or a mountain bike ride um so it does it takes a lot of different shapes and sizes and you know the beautiful thing about that is is because of all of the different options it can attract a lot of different people depending on what their entry level is in terms of budget but also in terms of physical skill and ability right you know we're looking at right now getting my mother-in-law who I mean, I'm, I'm taking a risk here. I think she's 74, 75. Um, we're looking at getting her kind of a beach cruiser that has this really low entry point where she can basically just, you know, lift her foot up and get on a bike. And for her, that's going to be some freedom, right? You know, I have an uncle who uh, lost a leg in a motorcycle accident. He's got an e-bike, you know, there, but, but to all of those people, my son and those you know, the other people in my life, it's, it's freedom. It's a, it's an activity that we can all do. Uh, it's an activity that has a lot of benefits for us. And so I, I'm not a snob about how you, you know, approach it. I'm, I'm really happy just to see people out and, and riding bikes, but if I you want to go that. faster, I can definitely help you do that. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I think that, uh, so for you listeners out there, um, if you've never seen me before, I have, um, my entire right arm is covered in tattoos. And well, one, if 
I look back at it, there wasn't any sort of specific reason as to why I chose my right arm. But interestingly enough, um, one of the biggest scars that I have is actually from a bike accident. I was biking. I was like 16 years old. I'm 34 now. So it was 18 years ago. And I was uh, making a trip to the, the local pool. That was my first summer job. And my mother said, okay, let's do a little test run because I want to make sure that you can get to and from the pool safely. I was like, great, this is fantastic. And I actually had a mountain bike at the time, but I was, and um, it was pretty hilly, but it was all on asphalt. And, uh, and my mother was driving behind me just as like a car to make sure I was okay. Um, and I was trying to go, I was going up and down the curb, but as I was going up a curb, I tried to dodge a tree and then I ended up like flying over my handlebars and then it just destroyed my arm and I had a giant scab for the past couple of years. And I just realized now that as I've gotten tattooed, that scar has disappeared. And it was just a really funny story because, I mean, it was, it was painful at the time, but it was a really funny story because when Mike, when you're talking about this concept of freedom, this aspect of freedom, like nothing's really going to stop you unless it's a tree or the ground or whatnot, but you, you have this opportunity to, to, to go fast, experience the breeze in your face and your hair. Um, and also like move much faster than if you were to walk or to run. And I think that when you are experiencing pain, specifically sciatica pain, you're kind of locked into this scenario where you can't really do too many activities because of how, how much pain you're in. But then you do something that's relatively uh, low, quite low impact and pretty easy on the joints like cycling. You get to experience that freedom. You get to experience what it's like to be out and be active um, in a relatively safe way. Obviously, don't go trying to dodge, go, go up and down uh, curbs and trying to dodge trees like I did, but you have that opportunity. Um, I think. When it comes to cycling and, and just the bike in general, uh, people also look at spin classes as kind of like the, the cycling part of it too. And mm. I, I know that there's a lot of differences, but I would love to hear a little bit more, Mike, about what are the big differences between, say, like a road cycle, like a road bike. Um, for like mm -hmm. endurance events or triathlons yeah. um, and say a, a spin bike when people take like one hour spin classes. I'm for sure there. there's a lot of differences, but. Yeah, I would love I'm to hear. I'm looking at a lot of it is geometry, right? A lot of it is access, right? Um, I know when I started biking or cycling, um, it was to do duathlons. So I was already a, a pretty decent runner. Um, I had the energy system capacity to do it, and and I got a hold of a secondhand bike and just fell in love with that sport of duathlon. Um, I'm not like you. I'm not a swimmer. I'm a I'm a sinker. So. That was my sport for you know five or six years where there was a lot of local races and that's what i'd compete in um but we would basically i would cross-country ski in the winter and the rise now of technology and the availability of spin bikes and certainly put your bike on a uh, you know a turbo trainer and ride bikes with people all over the world on zwift it, that whole world has just exploded so now you know in northern ontario i can still ride my bike all winter so that's been a big, big change for a lot of athletes in that you're not just trying to get back in shape every spring and get used to being on the bike. The big thing with road bikes um, and spin bikes, I think the biggest thing there is geometry. Uh, and, you know, for those of you that are new to biking, geometry is basically the, the way that the frame is built, um, the angles with which the frame is built. So if you were to go on, say, you know, your, your top brands right now, if you were to go on, say, Trek or... Uh, specialized or one of these big bike companies, they're going to divide their bikes into different 
types of bikes. So you're going to have your race bikes. Your race bikes are what you see the riders in the Tour de France ride. Um, so they're going to have you know very little difference between the the top two uh, of the bike and the handlebars. It's going to be a very very small distance, which means that those bike riders are going to be very hunched over. Um, they're not going to you know be sitting up at all. In the last little while, they've also developed kind of an intermediate bike called an endurance bike. And what, that's what I ride, where it has a little bit more of a shift in angle so that the rider can sit up a little bit. You know, they're not sitting up chest into the wind, but they are sitting up in kind of, you know, a little bit more of a relaxed position, which for the normal person, especially if they are sitting at a desk all day, uh, allows them a little bit of position change so that they're not, you know, bent right over and, and really compounding what they've done to their body all day at work. Um, and then, you know, if we go look at a spin bike, there is a lot of adjustability to that. So you really can, if you have a, a qualified, you know, a skilled teacher can really start to move around seats and handlebars and pedals and things like that to, to make sure that we're not making a problem worse, but also so that that ride is relatively comfortable, right? I think when we look at cycling and we look at long distance riding, the thing that turns a lot of people off is the comfort factor. And so if you can get a bike that fits your needs and, and definitely get, um, you know, the strength component there to deal with it, but also spend enough time on the bike that you do get comfortable, um, then the geometry plus, you know, the, the instruction that you get is, is going to work out well for you. Um, you know, in my opinion, there's not a lot of people that need a race bike. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the sciatica protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. Now, having an on-demand physical therapist can cost thousands plus hours of sessions. But with the sciatica protocol, you'll receive the same, if not better, customized care completely free. And why are we making this program free? Because I believe that everyone deserves to live free from pain without actually having cost be the biggest obstacle. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm so intrigued and I really respect cyclists because as a swimmer, we'd have two and a half, three hour long practices, but it's not like I'm swimming for two and a half, three hours straight. Like we would actually have breaks and we had intervals and we'd stop swimming. I'm so amazed by looking even just like, yeah, as you said, the Tour de France athletes, like they're riding for hours. And I'm like, I don't, I, I physically mentally wouldn't even be able to handle that. So yeah. I think, um, my, I mean, question for you is what constitutes, like, what is that, uh, line that separates like, uh, from like a short distance ride to a long distance ride? Like what's, what's that line? What's that time standard? If there is one. I think for most people, it's going to be the hour or two mark. Um, I think the real differentiation is when you have to eat, mm. right? Fueling becomes an issue. So, you know, you just go out for a, a couple of miles ride around the, the block or around countryside. Um, you know, you may not need to fuel. Um, but I think from a mental standpoint and just from an energy system standpoint, 
when the rides get long enough that you really have to consider taking in fuel and, and nu- nutrition and hydration on the bike, that's, that's a major kind of, that's that, that's that point where it becomes, I think, cycling, right? <laughs> when you're taking snacks in your back pocket uh, and packing more than one water bottle, uh, I think that's the, the, the dividing factor. Um, it really depends what kind of race or riding you're doing in terms of what the mental component of it is. You know, I'm fascinated by the Tour de France when you watch these guys doing, you know, we talk in kilometers an hour, but they're doing like 30, 40 kilometers an hour. And there's a hundred of them packed into the road. Um, the mental component of that to be aware constantly and vigilant constantly for things happening around you, you know, that ha- happen in a, a heartbeat has to be insane. Um, you know, going out for a ride on my own, you know, we have a, a, a cabin out on the lake here. That's about an hour ride away from here for me, for the most part, I can kind of just tune out a little bit and, you know, be aware of traffic, but it's almost an escape mentally for me. Right. So, you know, the mental component of it is big and I'm not going to pretend I'm a sports psychologist at at all, but it is, it's a different, it takes a different kind of person to ride those long, long rides. Uh, and everybody deals with it differently. You know, my wife asks me all the time, like, why? The why? Why do you do it? Why do you do it? <laughs> and uh, I'm actually reading this really good book right now called The Comfort Crisis. And it looks into why do people like endurance athletes do hard things? Like, what makes us do that? And, you know, he, the, the author is, is kind of of the opinion that it's just the way that we're built from, you know, genetics is that, you know, our, our ancestors used to go and do hard things all the time. They weren't comfortable in 72 degrees, you know, um, with food readily available and everything. So, um, it, it's a bit of, you know, extremes on either side of it, but I, I do think, you know, you with your swimming and, and the running and the biking is all relative, right? You know, if I go for a two hour run, I'm relatively exhausted. Um, and, but if I go for a two hour bike ride, I can do that and then go on with my day. Right. So same thing with you. If you swam all out for two hours, you could probably wreck your life for the day. Um, so it is relative between right from one sport to the other, what that time period is. Um, and it, it really depends on training too. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And so if we're looking at, um, let's talk about like the, the activity, uh, mm-hmm. uh or like the, the training aspect, like that's actually where we're going to be having the most amount of volume, the most amount of time spent, um, on the bike. And, Let's talk about some injuries. Let's talk about some injuries that people experience when they are getting involved with the longer cycling distances. So um, for clarification, listeners, like this will be if you're going to be riding for an hour or more when we get to the point where, um, you know, you you are going to have to bring some extra snacks with you, some multiple drinks. But also this this doesn't necessarily eliminate anyone who rides anything less than that. I mean, I think that these injuries are going to be very, very relevant. Mm-hmm. regardless of whatever distance you're doing. So yeah, Mike, as a, as a cycling coach, what are some common injuries that you see, uh, in uh, just in, in the psych, the world of cycling itself? Yeah. I think first and foremost, you're going to see a lot of people dealing with knee pain, um, knee pain, hip pain. I mean, if we want to go up the chain, knee pain, hip pain, um, you know, um, low back issues, depending on how they're positioning themselves and spending time in that and on that bike, um, and I think you see a lot of thoracic spine dysfunction as well, just because of the position that, you know, a cyclist would put themselves in sustained for that amount of time. But I think the most prevalent would be, you know, knee issues or some patellofemoral 
um, some knee tracking issues just because of how the, you know, the bike is set up or the, the seat height is, um, there's a lot of things that we can fix fairly easily with strength training, but just some like positional tweaks on the bike. Yeah, for sure. I think what a lot of people, uh, foresee cycling, um, it's kind of like when people say like, oh my goodness, like swimming is such a great sport. Um, it's really good and easy on the joints, but if you look at both, uh, swimming and cycling, the movements are pretty repetitive. Mm-hmm. Ultimately you're having your feet go in this circle and you are hitting in one specific direction. It's the same thing when it comes to freestyle. Um, and it's the, what I often find from an injury standpoint, from like a mechanism, like what are the major reasons you're absolutely right when it comes to positioning. But I think the the sheer volume, the number of repetitions that you're going through, um, yeah. is, is just kind of like, uh, has a huge impact. It's kind of like, uh, if, if you have a slow leak on your tire in your car, yeah. right? that slow yeah. leak is going to start to have that car. If you take your hands off the steering wheel, it's going to go in the specific direction. And so yeah. being able to see that repetitive motion, not to say that repetitive motion is bad, but I think you prove you bring up a really powerful point. It's about that positioning, yeah. um, about the positioning itself. Repetition will find the hole in the chain right or the hole in the system um so i I always say to people in the gym you know we have when we're lifting or or you know are on the bike or running is that you'll get away with it until you don't and so if if there's something in that chain or in that system that is less than ideal that repetition especially on the bike right you know the thing with repetition on a swim or repetition on a run is that if i change up my cadence so the amount of steps that I take on a run, it doesn't mean that my I'm just running slower at the same stride length. I'm running usually shorter or longer stride length, depending on if I speed up or slow down. And so for a runner, that's almost beneficial in that it changes the system a little bit, right? It, it asks their system to do a little bit more. It opens up our hips and our knees and our, asks our feet to do different things. When we do that with a cyclist, you have a number of different gears that you can shift into, but you, as a, as the operator are always stuck on that one cycle, right? The pedal doesn't change length. Um, the gears may do that for you, make it harder and easier, but you're always stuck on that same circle. Um, and so repetition in that means in that way is, is definitely going to highlight, you know, it's going to, to take its toll on the weakest thing. So if the weakest thing is how your knee is tracking, then that's probably going to be what comes first. Um, if you're spending that time glued to your seat and, you know, on the same spot on the handlebars and can't, and don't change position, then, um, you know, that's also going to have an impact as well. So, um, my big thing with newer cyclists, especially and cyclists that are experiencing some sort of pain from the hips up is to say like, let's schedule getting out of your saddle let's schedule standing up and pedaling a little bit let's schedule some you know some stretches you can do on the bike because you can you can stretch while you're on the bike you can you know move around stretch your back you can definitely unclip your feet and stretch out your quads and your calves if you need to um you just have to be diligent and actually do it um you know i do the same thing with running now where i'm training for an ultra trail race in the fall and you know i've got a great coach and a great nutrition coach and my thing is every 20 minutes I eat, I take a drink of water. And if my hip is bothering me, which it has been, I stop for 30 seconds, stretch it out and I'm able to keep going. Right. So 
there are ways that we can mitigate those things on the on the ride, but if we don't put those strategies into place ahead of time, then then we're just kind of doomed to repeat our our mistakes, which people like to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, know? I love that man. I I really love that. I um I often tell my patients um mm-hmm. that, and this kind of goes into the overall like what's a good posture, what's a bad posture, and the reality is that there's no such thing as like a bad posture. Like there there's no such thing as a really bad position. However, the human body prefers efficiency, efficient movement. But then also the body really, the body and the brain actually really prefer novelty. So when you are running or you're doing anything and you can change up your position, you can still get the work done, but you are introducing a new position, a new movement, which gives the nervous system a break for it to recover from any sort of over repetitive strain. I love the fact that you tell your athletes and cyclists to fit in different pieces to spend X amount of time in your saddle or spend enough time like sitting back, being able to sprinkle those in, uh, it will one, it adds to the spice and makes it a, a much more robust thing, but it's really huge when it comes to preventing that the, the repetitive stress injuries. That's what I find mostly it's like most of the injuries happen in cycling is often a repetitive stress. And if mm-hmm. we introduce new novel positions and it's not like oh my gosh you have to do this a crazy position but just something that's slightly different that's going to allow you to pursue a different path it's going to really be helpful in preventing the the onset of of anything so that's really huge on the the injury prevention side which i think i mean the best way to fix a problem is to not have that problem in the first place right it's, <laughs> i i it always bothered me and i said this on another another podcast where it really bothered me like that statement where it's like the best thing that you can do is uh, the, the best thing to solve a problem is to not have that problem in the first place. It's like, well, I have that problem now. Like, what are we going yeah, to do? Yeah. So at this point, if we're looking at the involvement of, um, of someone who has an injury, who's like been battling with sciatica pain, uh, can they train? Can they still train and cycle around that? I think so. Uh, and, and I mean, I know, so I've certainly had athletes who have done that. Um, it, it's really, it's paying a lot more attention to the programming. Um, it's paying a lot more attention to what we're, we're doing off the bike, right? The bike is nice. It gives them again, that freedom where maybe they're limited in other sports that they're doing because of the sciatica. Um, the bike may allow them to do that and get some lower you know, intensity work in, which is going to be amazing to keep fitness. Uh, it's also going to be amazing to help, you know, burn fat and, and keep body composition under control. Um, but they can definitely train if they're looking after their self off the bike. I think that's, that's number one, right. And working with a, you know, a, a health practitioner like yourself definitely helps. Um, I have a great relationship with some of the, the treatment providers in our city where, you know, we will do our assessment in the gym or you know we'll do it by video if the, the client is um is not in town and we'll work with their healthcare provider to say hey look at this is what i'm seeing is it cool if i do x y and z uh, this is my plan would you like to make any recommendations to it um, and that's a great relationship to have because the healthcare practitioner doesn't always get a chance to do much with a client in clinic Right? You're limited in your time that you get to spend with them. So if they have an, uh, you know, an outlet with which they can do more and do better to treat that client, 
um, and we become part of that treatment plan, then that's amazing. And, and it gets it gets everybody what they want. Um, but so for my role would be handling more strength training aspect, but also looking at keeping people accountable for their mobility. Uh, and I'm a massive hypocrite in this <laughs> department. I, uh, I, I'm not great at doing my mobility work, you know, so doing my yoga and my stretching and, and taking care of those things until it becomes a problem. And I think that really is, you know, if we're looking at the repetitive nature of cycling at some point, exposing the weakness, we probably could fix the weakness either through some, some strength training to, you know, minimize imbalances. Uh, we certainly could mitigate a lot of the effects of longer duration cycling if we all stretched when we got off the bike, right? And made that an actual, you know, a real part of our training program. Um, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but if I look through my my list of clients right now who are cyclists and runners, I can almost guarantee you which workouts during the week don't get done the most. And it's the mobility stuff. Right. People will go out of their way to go do the hard intervals and find that hill and just session up and down it for an hour if I ask them to. But if I ask them to take 15 or 30 minutes to say, you know what, we're going to do some like yoga today. Those are the ones that are showing up red in my schedule because they didn't get done. Right. And I, it, it's hard. You know, if you don't do it, it becomes hard. Uh, I think, you know, the more that you do mobility, the more you see how much it pays off. You know, it's like having good nutrition. You don't realize how good good nutrition is until you actually have some. Um, and, and the effects on performance are huge. So I'm not as good as it personally as I should be. Um, but I think that's pretty indicative of, of everybody who does endurance sports is, is they don't come to it until they get that like call to Jesus type moment because of an injury or because of pain. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that... Um, it is important for us to be able to fit all these different components in. So then that way we can, in fact, take care of our bodies to its utmost. Oftentimes, yeah. if you're injured outside of trauma, outside of the fact that you were standing there and you get hit by a car or you uh, literally trip and fall because like someone pushed you, a lot of these repetitive stress injuries could be managed and prevented by implementing stuff like mobility and even proper nutrition, if you are eating um, not the greatest quality food, highly processed foods, foods that will facilitate inflammation, the inflammation itself, we need a baseline level of inflammation, which allows us to heal our tissues. But if you have an excessive amount of inflammation in your body, it will actually make you more sensitive to pain. And myself as a healthcare practitioner, I'm trying to figure out, well, is the pain that you're experiencing truly due to actual tissue damage? Or is there something going on in the nervous system that we need to address? And one of the really great things about training around an injury, whether it be sciatica pain, hip pain, or any other issue, and I've said this before in other podcasts, is that if you stay active and you actively move and exercise without flaring up your symptoms, your body actually releases anti-inflammatory hormones, which one reduces your perceived level of pain and it can actually facilitate healing because you're improving blood flow to the various different areas. And so there's many different ways to skin a cat. And the great thing is, as you've heard from Mike, is the fact that there are many different bicycle shapes 
that we can use that which would that which would vary your positions but then also there's other activities that you can complete that could help you recover and 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 get back into cycling faster that doesn't always have to incorporate cycling and mike i really love the fact that you talked about communicating with the entire healthcare team because you're absolutely right when in clinic in in clinic sessions are 30 minutes to an hour, depending on what clinic or what professional you're working with. And the reality is is that an hour a day is only 4% of a 24 hour time period. And if you are say like an orthopedist where you're probably seeing a patient once every six to eight weeks, that's a very, very small percentage that Mm -hmm. that practitioner has as compared to you being the coach. If you're communicating with them on a regular basis, you can actually see what is going on. And I think it's important for you listeners when you are working with a practitioner, a coach, or whoever who's actually taking care of you to communicate with what to communicate with them in regards to how you're feeling, how everything is impacting. And you have a professional like Mike who can hold you accountable to doing your stretches. I think that's a that's a that's an amazing part of your service, Mike. And I'm so glad that you do that, um, which is really, really cool. Yeah, um, I think I think yeah. to a certain degree we're more of um, I mean, we're in the fitness business. I'm in the fitness business. You are, um, I think my role in the fitness business sometimes is less about coaching and less about the, the training zones and things like that. And it's more of an accountability business, right? It's, it's a person to say, Hey, this is what's lacking. You did. You, this is what you need. I know, you know, you need it, but I'm going to make sure that I follow up to make sure that you do actually do it. Um, so, you know, it's it's an accountability business disguised as a fitness business, which I think is an important thing for coaches to realize. Oh, yeah. I love that. Um, I realized I didn't answer your question. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I went on my own tangent there. But, but in it. terms of like, can you still train for cycling when you have an injury or a condition like sciatica? And I think the answer is probably. Uh, and yes, to a certain degree. Right. It's 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 where, you know, an athlete who's coming back into that or starting cycling as an activity because of the sciatica really has to be honest with themselves about what the outcome is and what the experience is and understand that, you know, it may not be the level that they were used to doing before, but that if they do it within a a prescribed or a comfortable level, that it's probably going to be beneficial to them. Right. It's going to be that. Uh, effective dose that's going to help them to do that and so that's where talking to the healthcare practitioner and certainly to the the cycling coach is going to help to say hey an hour was good you know I manage an hour and I tolerate an hour well if I do my mobility work and I you know I change position and, and all these things we talked about but if I get up to an hour and 15 an hour and a half things don't go well and instead of pushing that and saying well I hope next week I can get in a two hour ride you know, maybe today was just an anomaly. It's really being honest with themselves to say, hey, what is my threshold right now? And what is the effective amount of that stimulus that helps me feel good instead of, hey, what did I used to be able to do? I want to do that now, even if it's detrimental to my health. So I think maybe that's a better answer to the question than, than my long-winded response from earlier. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great answer. And I, um, I, I truly love that. I mean, we're pretty much putting the impetus on the the human like listeners. Like it's important for you to be honest with, with yourselves and, and what you're experiencing. 
uh, I've said this a lot and I say this a lot because I truly believe in it, but I think that um, there's many different, there's many things that actually separate us from animals. Uh, I'm down in Florida right now and it's blazing hot and it's humid and the, like you see a dog and like once that dog is tired and hot, it will just sit. It'll just sit and it won't move on anymore because the dog is saying, I got to regulate my body temperature. I'm exhausted. And no matter how hard you as the human is pulling them, they're going to sit until their body temperature drops to a safe enough point so they can continue. As compared to us humans, we have the our gray matter. And um, if you look at any anatomy book, our gray matter, our brains, they have a lot of folds. That's why, why you see all like the different ridges and everything. And the folds um, also is indicative of us being able to fit a lot of nerves and that allows us to have very high processing and that very high processing actually allows us to push past those signals that our body's telling us, like if our body's hot, but we're like, we got to make it home. Like we're going to make it home. Um, if we are exercising and our muscles are burning we can continue to push on because our higher levels of brain function is telling us that we can, we are pushing past these boundaries and it results in the fact that we can push human performance. Um, we can push human performance. We can push human innovation. Um, but it also, if left unchecked can actually result in a lot of challenges. It can actually lead to injury because our bodies are not getting the opportunity to recover or even move to a different efficiency, change to a different gear. And so I love Mike's response. It's like, yeah, you probably can train around a, an injury like sciatica, but while you're training around that injury, you should also definitely look inside yourself and identify what you're experiencing, what are your biggest limiting factors, but then you should, it, it is your responsibility to take care of it. And you don't have to take care of it on your own. Um, there are many professionals like myself and Mike who can actually provide you the steps to actually help you get back into training, reduce your pain and, and all that other pieces. But it's important for us to be honest with ourselves and say, okay, well, if we're experiencing this problem, we got to solve it because it's really easy for us to use that higher processing saying, let's just push past this pain, which would be great. You'll get stuff done, but it can result in things hurting a little bit more. And so being, being really, um, in, into, to, to that, um, let's talk about shapes, Mike, I, I, um, let's talk about shapes and positioning, uh, mm -hmm. on, on the bike. Um, let's talk about road cycling, um, specifically. Cause I think that's where a lot, that's where I see the most amount of like a forward flex position yeah. and, um, people who are wearing, uh, cycling shoes that clip into the pedals as well. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about positioning and what, what the optimal positioning is now being that this is a podcast, like this is really mostly just audio. So in, in the best way that you can describe it with words, Mike, what, what's the most <laughs> optimal, um, cycling position for, for efficiency and, and just making everything feel awesome. There isn't one there. <laughs> it's, uh, it's dependent on the athlete. It really is, right? I, I ride with a couple of guys and, you know, the the height of your handlebars from the top of your frame is called your stem. And I ride with a guy who's obsessed with like, you got to slam your stem, you got to slam your stem, which means you don't have distance between your handlebars and your, your frame. You, you're very, very hunched over. You're very aerodynamic. 
which for the type of riding we do doesn't really matter to be honest with you um it's and so you know what what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for somebody else um and so there's so many different factors that come into it when we look at that slammed stem or that tour de france style rider it's a position that you really have to be able to spend time in and it doesn't just happen because you jump on a bike and it has that geometry it has that you know that way of being built um there's a little bit of of moving things around and there has to be some willingness uh either to get your bike fitted for you at a a good bike shop can help you to set that up that bike up well with a good starting position um but you have to be able to be be ready to to experiment a little bit to see what the best fit is for you now if we're in that flexed forward position like you see the tour de france guys in they don't just hop on a bike and and get comfortable like that they've spent years and years and years training and doing the mobility work that we do you know we talked about they're not you know they're guys who are, are okay with you know having all of the muscle in their body and their legs um and having that mobility and that low um you know body mass up top so uh, a lot of that comes from yoga a lot of it comes from stretching but a lot of it comes from spending time on that bike and if you've ever seen the elite guys they spend time in wind tunnels right they figure out what that optimal position is so they know exactly where to the millimeter their bike has to be set up in order to make them go faster now do some of them go fast at the expense of pain or discomfort 100% right but for cyclists like you and I we want to find a, an optimal position that doesn't wreck our life right it makes it so that we can get in you know get up the next day and play with our kids or go to work and um do the things we need to do so um you know having somebody being able to sit up just a little bit more sometimes will make a big change or moving a, a seat or a saddle height uh, up and down a little bit can have a huge impact on comfort but but also power uh, and this is one of the things i have my clients play around with a little bit especially during the winter months where a lot of them have trainers inside that will give them power numbers right and we all know power is the amount of work that we're doing um so in cycling power doesn't lie in running heart rate doesn't lie it's the amount of work that we're doing and so what I'll have those riders do is sometimes videotape themselves on the trainer um and I'll get them to play around with seat height if we feel like it needs to be adjusted a little bit um or you know um moving the clip on their pedal and their shoes a little bit and not only will we look at what the comfort level is before and after that ride but we'll look at what their power output was right because this year you know this summer my optimal position might be completely different than it is next summer right i might have done some you know some stuff snowboarding or skiing throughout the winter where i don't move quite the way that i used to this summer or you know next summer um so that optimal position might not be optimal for me anymore so uh, i think one of the per- the best things you can do in terms of cycling setup is to be open to a little bit of experimentation but also not so rigid that you know you buy a bike today and you still are in the same position 10 years from now um you have to be willing to to you know to play around with things and be curious about what makes you comfortable right um i think we we were talking about peter tia's podcast uh the drive a little bit before we started recording and one of the things that i wrote down that he said when he was talking about nutrition was 
assuming that someone's optimal training plan and nutrition when they're in a state of illness is still the optimal training plan for them when they're in a state of health is asinine. <laughs> so um, same thing with, with bike setup is, is that you have to be willing to understand that you got better or you got worse or your body position needed to change. Um, so is there a perfect setup for everybody? No. Is there a perfect setup for you today? Probably. Right. Um, and the other thing too, the nice thing about being able to spend time on bikes throughout the, the winter, especially where I live, where it snows a lot is that, you know, you now have athletes who can spend time on their road bikes and get in like, you know, one, two, three hour sessions indoors in the warmth of their basement. Um, and now they don't have to end, you know, they don't have to finish up biking in October, never set, you know, never step butt on that bike seat again until March. Now we can have people who are comfortable on their bikes, you know, all the way through the winter. And so they're not having to ride themselves back into comfort on the bike because it does take some time to get, you know, accustomed to where you really need to sit on that bike seat. So uh, I apologize that there's no perfect answer, but there's not a perfect answer for everybody. But if you work with somebody who, you know, can set you up to start and any good, you know, bike shop should be able to do that for you. If not, I can do it for you. <laughs> I, I, um, I think I've said I love answer multiple times today, but truly, I think that's fantastic. Um, you bring up this concept of being able to use the data. So power aerodynamics, mm -hmm. like those numbers don't lie. So if you're looking from a performance standpoint, these are, this is the data that allows us to make those informed de uh, decisions. But then also this concept of what feels right, what feels comfortable for you. Yeah. When I teach my, my clients a new skill, whether it be to like pick something up from the floor or squat with weight, or even just reintroducing barbell movements for them, whenever I'll ask them, like, hey, how does it feel? Like some people will say, oh, this is going to feel a little awkward or this is going to feel new, but this like makes a ton of sense. And what's interesting mm -hmm. is the fact that like there is definitely going to be points where your body is going to say, I don't like this position. And what, and, and you can know that immediately. There's a difference between, um, I, I, I don't like this. Uh, I don't like this position versus, oh my gosh, this is, this is a very wrong position. Um, and for us to be able to differentiate between the two and, um, yeah, in essence, you're talking about data, you're talking about information. It's the information, which allows us to make decisions in regards to our setup, our health, the, the training. And again, that's why it's important to have people like you, people like us, who can hold people accountable being able to say, okay, well, here's this data that I have, but does it also match in regards to the things that we can't necessarily measure, which is what you're feeling, um, which, is, which has yeah. a huge impact. And one thing that I've really noticed between our conversations, Mike, is you do, a, um, I think one of the most valuable things that I've gotten from you when you work with your clients is getting the feedback in regards to how that person feels. And the reality is that that's a very crucial piece of information that all practitioners should be using, whether it be pain management, um, performance. And the challenge with pain management is the fact that as much as we want to objectify it, put it on a specific scientific scale, pain is a perception. It's an experience. And because we are all different human beings, pain is a, a the, the best way that we can quantify pain is on a scale of zero to 10, but mm. 
what's going to be important is that the pain scale is going to be relative to you. So um, my big piece of advice for you listeners, when a doctor or someone's asking you on scales, you're at a 10, how would you rate your pain? And you're saying, well, my pain's a two, but it's, it's more of like a 10, like compared to everyone else. It doesn't matter what everyone else is feeling. It's really what matters what you're experiencing. And so being yeah. able to establish a baseline and use your information compared to you, very, very different than blood sugar levels where we do have norms, but right. it's being able to say, what are you experiencing at this point and at this time? And, uh, I, I really really appreciate that. Um, Mike, I, I hate to do this. We're running out of time and I want, um, I want to ask you so many more questions. So, uh, I'll probably invite you for, for biking part two. And we'll just talk about, um, some more about this, but there, there are, there are people who, yeah, yeah. And there, there are folks who are listening to like, Oh my gosh, I want to get back into cycling. Um, I, I, I just want to be able to get back into it safely. And Mike seems like he could help. Um, what are some good ways for people to get in touch with you um, so they can start working with you? Definitely. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, CEOendurance.com or uh, CEOendurance at gmail.com uh, is my email. So reach out. If you have any questions, we can always jump on a call and see if, if it's a good fit um, and um, and see how I can help. But um, it's, it's, it's not a job. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I'm passionate about it. So this hour flew by and I'm, I'm definitely on board to jump on any other time. If, if people want to get some more answers to our cycling and running questions. Oh, I love that. Mike, I'm so appreciative of your time because I know you're busy, but I, yeah, I can talk to you literally all day, all night about this stuff. So I'm looking forward for more episodes. Um, if you didn't get Mike's contact information, I'm actually going to be putting in the show notes in today's episode and thank you so much, Mike. Awesome. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.